turn in our Bibles to Revelation chapter 21 as we are engaged in worship there one of the uh, worship songs his mercies are never ending don't you like that his mercies are never ending there's a lot of things with uh, with our God with the Lord that are never ending. And there's a lot of things that are going to come to an end. And we're reading in the book of Revelations uh, a number of things that are going to come to an end and there's going to be fresh starts. And uh, I think all of us, I believe, that are here that know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we're waiting in anticipation for that day when we're going to be face to face but the one who died for us, the one who gave it all up for our lives. And uh, it's going to be an awesome day. I titled this morning's message, The New Jerusalem Described. And two weeks ago, uh, we were in uh, started chapter 21. And then we covered verses 1 to 8 where John was given a vision of a new heaven and a new earth. We read in verse 2, if you look at your Bible there, Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. I saw Abby walk down this aisle, and I saw Latrell standing up here as his bride was walking down, there's the picture. Coming down the aisle, Latrell looked like he was about ready to fall over <laughs> with excitement for his new bride. It was a blessed day. Welcome back. We, uh, today we're gonna look at more details of this new Jerusalem. We're gonna get a glimpse, we might say, into our new home, our new home in eternity. Jesus had already told John and the other disciples at that last supper before he went to the cross. I've read this scripture a number of times because it is our hope in John 14 too, Jesus said, in my Father's house are many mansions or many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. I'm so thankful that he left this earth with those encouraging words. I go to prepare a place for you. Are you ready to hear about your new home this morning? We have a new home. And when it gets to certain topics within the book of Revelation, uh, some of them don't give us a whole lot of deep details. There's some things that are a little bit vague. And it's probably because even if he got into the deep details, we wouldn't be able to wrap our finite minds around it anyway. Maybe Todd could. 
But we can't wrap our heads around a lot of the things that we read, even in how it's explained to us. And as a matter of fact, there have been some that have gotten and tried to get into the details of this new heaven, this new home. And really, in their explanation, it's turned into a lot of speculation. And I'm not one that likes to get in and do a lot of speculation because I never want to try and paint a picture of something that's not accurate. And so I try to stick to the text of what it's saying. And you can let your mind run. You know, I mean, is my you know, dog and cat going to be there? Is it, you know, some of these things we don't have answers for, do we? It doesn't tell us those things. But you can speculate, and it, it's okay. Just don't teach it as truth unless it's in the Bible. But what we read in Revelation chapter 21 and 22 concerning our, our new heavenly home, though it's hard to comprehend and though it's hard to visualize, we're told that the Apostle Paul, being led away by this angel, he saw it, and then he began to write down to describe what he saw. He had a conversation with this angel. Now we know that the Apostle Paul, in, in his own life and ministry, there was a point at which he was caught up, we're told, into the third heaven. And the things that he saw were inexpressible. It wasn't even lawful for him to express the things that he saw. That just gets my mind going. I mean, I, I, I'm looking forward, and I think you are too, to that day. But as I've shared numerous times, I'm a literalist when it comes to my interpretation. And the way I approach the book of Revelation and the Bible is that if I can't find in the book of Revelation or in some other part of the Bible something that tells me that it's symbolic, then I take it literally. I just read it for what it is. I don't try to speculate what it is or try and change it into something. I just take it for what it says. And I'm okay with that. But so that we can keep the context, let's go ahead and, and read starting in verse 1 of chapter 21. John says, now I saw, keep those words, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. I think John has literally seen something. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw, here it is again, the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice. Now he's hearing. I hear a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. 
There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. John saw, John heard, John wrote the things that he was seeing. He goes on in verse 6, and he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, and I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son, but the cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. That was our text a couple weeks ago. We continue today, starting in verse 9. But let me give you kind of a breakdown of how I am approaching this. Here's, if you want to say, our outline. Verses 9 to 14 is going to be a vision of our new home on the outside. In verse 15 to 17, the angel is going to measure the city. In verse 18 to 21, the angel describes its construction and the building materials. In verse 22 to 27, the angel tells John what's not in the city. And then in chapter 22, 1 to 5, he sees a vision of our new home on the inside. And so let's start looking at the outside of our new home, starting in verse 9. Then one of the seven angels who had seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came to me and talked with me saying come and I will show you the bride the lamb's wife and he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and he showed me the great city the holy Jerusalem descending out of heaven from God having the glory of God her light was like a most precious stone, like jasper stone, clear as crystal. Also, she had a great and high wall with 12 gates and 12 angels at the gates and the names written on them, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. Three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. Now the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. We're told that this angel takes John away in the spirit. Takes him away in the spirit. So it, whatever that looks like, he's taking John away to this great high mountain 
and he's allowing John to have a vision. He's allowing John to see more details of the splendor and the glory of this holy city that we already read about in verse 2. John saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem there, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Remember, God loves Israel. Remember that God loves Jerusalem. Remember that it's his holy city. This is God's place. And God holds it in high regard. But what makes this city so glorious, so spectacular, is that it's the glory of God that is radiating from it. That's what John was seeing in the moment. The glory of God radiating from this place that is going to be our home. I'm so looking forward to it. I hope you are. Looking forward to that new home in heaven, that eternal home in heaven. How many of you are homeowners here? Most of us here, though, even though we call ourselves homeowners, we don't really own the home, do we? None of us ever really own that home, and one of the ways that we know that is because if you miss a few payments, what happens? Banks can be knocking on your door saying, give me the keys. It's not yours. We're paying for it unless you're privileged enough to pay it off. But you never really own it. I remember when Kathy and I bought our first home. Brand new home. You know, nothing wrong with it. Or at least we thought. It came with a warranty on it. And I was glad it did. Because as we were in there for the first week, I realized that the chimney on the house had been built crooked. It's kind of hanging out like this. Whole chimney. And those builders had to come in and tear the whole chimney down and rebuild the chimney to build it straight. In that time, we had repairs to do. A brand new house. Still things come up. Things break. The home I'm in now, I just recently had to put a new heat pump in it. It needs a new roof. It's got a, a mortgage still. It's not as exciting as the one that we're reading about in Revelation here. This earthly home is one day going to just be dissolved. It's going to be gone. But our new heaven, our new home, our new dwelling place, I can say this, it will never disappoint you. You'll never be uh, obligated to mortgage payments anymore. Won't that be nice? No repairs on the property. And we'll never have a bad neighbor. Think of that. No bad neighbors. 
everyone will be a friend, a brother and sister in Christ. But here's the point. Whether you're a homeowner or you're not this morning, we should all be living as Christians in temporary housing. Temporary housing. Because these earthly homes that we dwell in here, they're not our final home. It's not where we're ending up. In the last chapter of the book of Hebrews, in chapter 13, verse 14, we read this. For here we have no continuing city, but we seek the one to come. We're seeking the one to come. The new Jerusalem. The place that God has prepared for us. I've got some of the names that have been given on the slide. You can write them down if you want or just look at them. But some of the names that have been given to this new Jerusalem, this city, our new home in heaven. In verse 2, it's referred to as the holy city. And that's probably because it's the city of God. Who himself is holy. But not only that, we are his redeemed. And we're going to dwell in that city. Because we have been made holy by the blood of Jesus Christ. It's going to be a city where there's going to be no corruption. You know all the talk on TV, on the news right now? All the corrupted cities. All the violence in the cities. All the stealing that's going on in the, the stores in the cities. No more corruption. No more crime. We're not going to have to lock the doors and be, you know, it's going to be different. It's called in verse 2 also the New Jerusalem. And that's probably because the old Jerusalem had become so corrupt that God needed to make a new one. Remember back in chapter 11, in verse 8, when those two witnesses uh, are killed there in the city of Jerusalem. In this particular verse, it likens Jerusalem, this great city of God spiritually. It was referred to as Sodom and Egypt. Because it had been a city of God, God's city, that had been corrupted by man. He's going to make a new Jerusalem. In verse 9, it's, it's called the bride. And that's possibly because of those who are going to inhabit the city. It's called the great city. Because our God, uh, our great God and Savior is the one who built this city who built this new Jerusalem. Also in verse 10, it's called the Holy Jerusalem because it stands in contrast to that unholy Jerusalem today. It's called the city also. And in Hebrews 11.10, we're told that Abraham waited for the city whose foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Abraham, the Old Testament saints, waiting 
for that city to come. Our new home, the new place where we're going to spend eternity with the Lord. Who's going to be living in this city? It's going to be both Jews and Gentiles. It's how the Bible sees the population of all mankind. You're either a Jew or you're a Gentile. But it's going to consist of both. It's going to consist of both Old Testament saints and New Testament saints that are going to be in this city. Just think about that incredible redemptive plan that we have in the Word of God. Just think of how God brought this full circle even to this new Jerusalem, this place we're going to dwell not throwing out all of the things that he had established before, but had been corrupted by man, but making it new. That's our God. He proves himself who he is. What he intends something to be, it will be, even though man and sin and failure corrupted it. In verses 12 to 13, we're told that the names of the 12 tribes of Israel are written on the gates of the city. Wow. That was important to God. To write the names of the 12 tribes of Israel on its gates. On the east side, the north, the south, and the west. Laid out just like that portable tabernacle when the tribes were all stationed around the four sides of the tabernacle, the 12 tribes of Israel. We also see in verse 14 that the foundations of the wall that are there have on them the names of the 12 apostles. You have the 12 tribes of Israel on the gates. You have the 12 names of the 12 apostles that are on the foundations of the wall. I believe that even in this, it, it shows us that both Jews and Gentiles are being remembered in the construction of this city. God's redemptive plan for both Jew and Gentile. It was a different plan. It was really the same plan in the end but he dealt differently with the nation of Israel than he does with the church today. As a matter of fact, from the first book of Genesis to the last book of Malachi in the Old Testament, from the first book of Matthew to the last book of the Bible, Revelation, it's all God's redemptive plan. And God never forgets. Keep that in mind with all the years and all the history from the creation of the world to the end. God doesn't forget one thing that he has promised, that he is going to do, that he is going to glorify himself even in this day. What's interesting is that we see throughout the Bible the number 12 we actually find it 187 times in Scripture. The number 12. 
But we also see other numbers. It's likened really to the number seven, which speaks of perfection. But the number 12 that we see in our Bibles, it speaks of God's power. It speaks of God's authority. It speaks of his governmental perfection that God has. It speaks of his control and his rule over something as a king. And so we see in our text, we see 12 gates. We see 12 pearls that make up that gate. 12 angels in verse 12. 12 tribes in verse 12. 12 foundations or precious stone in verse 14. 12 apostles. We also see 12,000 furlongs speaking about the measurement of the city in verse 16. We also see the walls are 144,000 cubics which is 12 times 12 in verse 17. We see the 12 fruits or the, on the tree of life, one, for e, one new fruit for each month, 12. It's interesting because our God is so precision, so perfection in what he does, and even in the creation of even what is being revealed to us here which is limited, it's perfection. Remember, Jacob had 12 sons, and Israel had 12 tribes in Genesis 49. Elijah built an altar of 12 stones when he called down fire from heaven in 1 Kings 18. 12 stones were on the ephod that was on the the part of the garments, uh, vestures of the high priest in Exodus 28. There were 12 unleavened cakes of bread that were placed weekly in the temple, Leviticus 25. Jesus had 12 disciples who became 12 apostles, all four gospels. There were 12 spies sent out by Moses into the promised land. Numbers 13. Twelve memorial stones taken from the Jordan River by Joshua in Joshua 4.9. There were twelve baskets of leftovers after Jesus fed the multitude in Luke 9.17. And that's just a few. God is very precision, very thought out in what he is doing. We just need to grab hold of it and go, wow. This is incredible. We're told in verse 11 that this new Jerusalem will display the glory of God. And her light was like this most precious stone, we're told, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. It's interesting because if you look up the jasper stone, it, it actually speaks, you can find it in multiple colors. But here it says that it's clear as crystal. And now that it's transparent. And that's what we see for the construction materials. 
what John saw as he looked at this incredible city, it may have reminded him of the Shekinah glory. The glory that every Hebrew, every Jew would have known that was in that place called the Holies of Holies. The place where the Ark of the Covenant was within sight of the temple. The presence of God was manifested in that place. God's Shekinah glory behind the veil. It was that visible manifestation of God's presence. It lit up the holies of holies. This is John seeing this city showing forth the glory of God from it. You see, our new home someday is going to radiate the glory of God for eternity. And it's going to be that glory that's going to be the light. Just think about that. No more electric bills. Now, wonderful. No electric bills in heaven. Look at verse 23. The city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. In verse 18 we read, the city was pure gold, like clear glass. In verse 21, the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. Sounds pretty awesome, doesn't it? Just just think of that. How awesome it's going to be. In verses 15 to 17, we're going to see here that the angel then measures this city. In verse 15 it says, And he, speaking of the angel, who talked with John... He had a gold reed to measure the city, to measure its gates, and to measure its wall. And the city is laid out as a square. Its length is as great as its breadth. And he measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs. Its length, breadth, and height are equal. Given us some measurements. Given us a little bit. How big will the city be? 12,000 furlongs. Some translations read 12,000 stadium, which is a range of somewhere around 14 to 1,500 miles long by 1,500 miles wide by 1,500 miles high. A square. A square city. Interesting. The old King James uses the word four square, which means that the city is laid out in a square equal on all sides. Look at verse 17. Then the angel measured its wall. The wall was 144 cubits, according to the measure of a man, that is, 
of an angel. And so the city wall measures this 144 cubics, which is about 200 feet tall. 200 foot tall wall. That's big. It's a lot bigger than Trump's wall. A big wall. 200 feet. In verse 18 to 21, John describes its construction and the building materials in it. Look at verse 18. The construction of its wall was of jasper, and the city was pure gold, like clear glass. And I, I think it's interesting that of all this gold that is being used in heaven, it's interesting that in our world today, more and more, the nations, individuals, and the nations of this world are hoarding gold. They're hoarding it. Whole nations, Russia, China, they're buying up as much gold as they can lay their hands on and stowing it away. And it's just going to be used for building materials in our new home. We know that the high priest had 12 precious stones that was on that breastplate, his priestly garment. And we see here a list of 12 precious stones being used for the foundation walls. The foundations of the wall, verse 19, of the city, they were adorned with all kinds of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper. The second was sapphire. The third was what is that? Thank you, Todd. The fourth was emerald. The fifth was sardonyx. The sixth was sardis, sardius. The seventh was chrysolite. The eighth was beryl. The ninth, topaz. The tenth was chrysophase. The eleventh was jacinth. I don't even know how you say that. And the twelfth was amethyst. The twelve gates were Get this, 12 pearls. Each individual gate was of one pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. Can you even imagine? I remember going with Kathy one time, maybe you've done this, where you've opened up an oyster. You ever done that? You pay like 10 bucks, you fish it out, and they pop the thing open, you're hoping you're going to get some big black, you know, pearl in there that's worth a lot of money, and they open it up, and it's about that big. A white one, you know, nothing worth more than a couple bucks, probably. But here's these gates. One pearl. It's going to be awesome. I mean, that's going to be huge. Can God do that? Does that stretch your faith a little bit? Does that make you want to, come on, give me some symbolism here. It doesn't tell me. I mean, I can't see anything. It just tells me what it is. And it gets very specific about it. Each individual gate was one pearl. Okay. A pearl the size of a gate. But then... 
we see in verse 22 to 27, the angel tells John what won't be in the city. And that's important. But I saw verse 22, no temple in it. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. You see, no more need for a temple to go to or a place that the people will have to go to, that we will have to go to, to meet God. For God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. You see, we come to church here every week, don't we? We come to this place each week in a sense, because we want to meet God. We want to worship. We're believing that God is in this place. He's in our hearts, but He's in this place. And we come here to meet God. But that day, when we're in His presence, it's going to be face to face. We're the temple now of the living God. Did you know that? Your body, because you house the Holy Spirit, if you know the Lord, you're the temple of the living God. But this is all temporary. Someday we're going to be in his presence and he will be that temple. Verse 23 says that the city has no need of sun or of the moon to shine in it for the glory of the God of God illuminated it the lamb is the light so in other words in God's creation the sun and the moon there for our benefit here we need light and then he allowed man to invent electricity and we have light bulbs we don't need that not going to be some you know nuclear power plant up there you know running the lights in the place we'll have the light there that'll be illuminating that city, our home. No need for the sun or the moon to shine in it any longer. We read in, interesting, in the book of Isaiah, chapter 60, verse 19, it says this, it says, the sun, this is a prophecy, I believe, looking ahead, but the sun shall no longer be your light by day, nor brightness shall the moon give, you, give light to you. But the Lord will be to you an everlasting light. And your God, your glory, your sun shall no longer go down, nor shall your moon withdraw itself. For the Lord will be your everlasting light. Things are going to be different. Things are not going to go on just like they are here. We're going to have something different, something far better. We read in 1 John 1.5, it says, This is the message which we heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. God is the manifestation of light himself. Concerning this city, we read in verse 21, 
It says that the nations of those who are saved, that's important, the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light. And the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. Some believe that there's going to be nations that will turn to the Lord even during the tribulation period. That there will be some kings that might turn towards him also during that time. Its gates, we're told in verse 25, shall not be shut at all by day. There shall be no night there. Don't have to shut the gates. The gate shall not be shut, it says, at all. Which means, I believe, that the gates will never need to be closed. They'll never need to be locked. Wouldn't that be nice? You always double check. your like, how did you lock the doors? Back door locked? We don't have to lock the doors anymore. It'd be a great environment, isn't it? And they, the nations and the kings, we're told, shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. This word nations can also, and quite often, it's, it's referring to Gentile nations. We read again in Isaiah, uh, the prophet, in chapter 60, verse 3, it says, The Gentiles shall come to your light, and the kings to the brightness of your rising." Also in Isaiah 60, verse 11, we read, Therefore, your gates shall be opened continually. They shall not be shut day or night, that men may bring to you the wealth of the Gentiles and their kings in procession. And so there's going to be those that are able to come into the city, those that have come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. The church is going to be there. All the Old Testament saints, all the Old Testament martyrs, all those that were going to all be there in this place. But there, verse 27, shall be, shall by no means enter into it anything that defiles or causes abomination. Or a lie. It's not going to be part of our new place. Things that defile. Things that are an abomination to God. And look at our world now. Look at the lying and the cheating and the abominations. And the things that defile our God in this world now. This world is by sin. It's sick. It's rotting. It's putrefied. It's death. And yet our Lord loves us. As we stood there at that clinic yesterday and saw these cars that were all parked around the clinic knowing that babies were being aborted. And the amount of babies and that's just one little aspect of the corruption and the sin, the 
failure of mankind. It's in our world. There's not going to be any of that in this city. We're not going to contend with that anymore. We're temporary housing here, church. We're going home. By no means will anything that defiles come into that city. There won't be any way. We're not going to be up there in, you know, a million years down the road. Now we got corruption in here. We're going to find some corruption. That's not going to happen. No sin or anything that will defile. No need for police officers. New Testament tells you he's given them for our benefit right now to protect us. Not going to need them in heaven. There's not going to be any guns. Any gun enthusiasts here? Anybody just buy a gun? Can't have to leave it behind. There's not going to be any conceal and carry. So all those people love their guns? No guns in heaven. Might be fishing poles. Oh, no, speculation. <laughs> Who's going to be in the city? Verse 27. Only those who are written, what? In the Lamb's book of life. Is your name in the Lamb's book of life? Yes. Written in there with ink that can't be erased? Is it in there? It's only a, a question that every one of us could ask ourselves and say, I am 100% confident that my name has been written in the Lamb's Book of Life. The only ones that are written in that book are the ones that have given their faith to Jesus Christ, put their trust in Him. Only the redeemed are going to be there. And you know what's going to be also really exciting? You know how so often in this life we kind of, we, we go, oh, I don't know if they're really a believer or not. I wonder, you know, I, I mean, they say they are, and I, I have these question marks in my mind. There's not going to be any of that. There's not going to be any questioning. Are you a believer? Really? I mean, I'm not seeing the fruit in you. There's not going to be any guesswork anymore. I look forward to that. You know how it is now you'll know them by their love one for another. By the fruit of God's spirit being evident in their life. And you have a lot of confidence when you see those things coming forth. But when you don't, question marks come up. Do they really know the Lord? In chapter 22... Verses 1 to 5. Remember chapter breaks weren't in the original. So we have this vision of our new home on the outside. I shared that God is going to bring his creation full circle. What he intended it to be in its perfection. It was corrupted by man going to be brought to perfection once again. Full circle.
He showed me a pure river of water of life. John's getting this vision. The angel showed me a pure river of water of life. It was clear as crystal. It was proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. And if we were to look back to the book of Genesis, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 10, we read, Before the fall, now a river went out of Eden to water the garden, and from there it parted and became four river heads. And here we have a heavenly river. It's coming forth from the throne of God and from the Lamb. And it's pure water, clear as crystal. I always get amazed when I see a river or lake that is that clear. And that is not even as clear and pure as this will be. In the middle of the street, there's going to be this tree of life. In the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore 12 fruits. There it is, those 12 again. Each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Our God is about restoration. He's about healing. That original tree that was in the midst of the garden in Genesis. Of all the trees of the garden you can eat freely, Adam and Eve were told, but of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, in the, deep, in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And they failed. And death was imminent, spiritual and physical. And here we have the tree of life, the healing of the nations. God's bringing us full circle. We read in Genesis 3.24 that God drove man out of the garden after he partook of that. And he placed a cherubim at the east of the Garden of Eden. And this angel had a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way of the tree of life. But this river here that we read about that's pure as crystal, it's, it's not even the one that we read about under the millennial kingdom that we've already covered. This is going to be a, a different river that's going to be in our eternal place where there's going to be, according to verse 3, no more curse, but the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it and his servants shall serve him. No more curse. Do you understand the curse that came upon this earth and upon mankind and upon through the fall? There's going to be no more curse. Amen? In Genesis 
the curse that was pronounced upon Satan. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. Curse upon Satan. In Genesis 3.17, the curse was pronounced upon Adam. Then to Adam, he said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree which I commanded you, saying, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it. In Genesis 4.11, the Lord cursed Cain after he killed his brother Abel. And then we read, so now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. And here we read in the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, the curse is going to be removed. There's going to be no more curse. Amen, church? Amen. Amen. Verse 4, they shall see his face, and his name shall be on their forehead. I'm looking forward to that, face to face. Does that intimidate you a little bit? I mean, think about it. Going face to face with the living God. That should cause us, as a church, to take inventory. Where am I at? How am I walking? Have I prepared and readied myself to be face to face? Verse 5, and we'll finish. There shall be no night there. They need no lamp nor light of the sun, for the Lord gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. How long is that? Forever and ever. That's just a brief description. That's all he gave us. You could find probably other Old Testament scriptures, things that might describe different aspects. But we don't have a whole lot of just details. But when I read this, and as I was reading it and going through it, you know what it does for me? It stirs my heart. It stirs me with just the anticipation, the hope that we have as Christians. If this is all temporary, this is all going to come to an end. None of the stuff you have you're going to take with you, it's all going to burn. It's all going to be left behind. Hold loosely to the things of this world. Hold loosely to the things that you have. Because those things are going to be gone. They're going to perish. We're seeking a new homeland. A new city. A new place where righteousness dwells. For eternity. With the Lord. No more wrestling with sin. Temptation. No more sickness. No more death. No more pain. The former things have passed away. Behold all things become new. 
and the thought that all of us are going to spend eternity together. Thinking, you might be thinking, I might get tired of you. It's a long time. But I think when we're in our new bodies and we have our new creation bodies that God's going to give us, a, you know, I don't think that's going to be the case. We're going to be loving on him and loving one another for eternity. By the way, this was, I think, uh, this was our 42nd study today in the book of Revelation. If you were here for all of them, and I don't think probably all of you were, but if you listened to them online, the ones you missed, just think of that. You, by next week, you'll have 43 hours in the book of Revelation. 43 hours to go through 22 chapters. And it's exciting. I hope your heart was stirred. But next week, the title of next week's message is Surely I Am Coming Quickly. Isn't that good? And so let's all stand.